You know, I'm from the Seattle area. I'm from Issaquah, but that's the east side of Seattle. And uh, I've been sharing with the church today. It's been kind of difficult being from Seattle the last few months because, you know, uh, and we, we do work with some different athletes. Some of our friends play for the Hawks and some of the coaches are friends of ours. And, um, you know, it's been tough. How, how many of you remember that Super Bowl? Do you remember that last Super Bowl? And uh, coming in and coming down to the one yard line, a miraculous play to set it up. I mean, the guy catches the ball and it's like every part of his body touched that ball before he caught it. His feet, his ankles. I mean, it was all over. And didn't you just think the moment he caught that ball, this is destiny. This is an appointment with destiny. This thing is over with. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. The Seahawks have not only won one Super Bowl, then they came down and they were one yard away from the end zone. And they were in perfect position. The clock was winding down. And it was like, wow, all we've got to do is punch that ball three more feet. And it is, a, it is an appointment with destiny. It's an appointment with history. Back-to-back Super Bowls. And the chance for an amazing dynasty and legacy. Absolutely unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, you know the story. That dream came to a horrific end. I mean, it was unbelievable <laughs> what happened. I mean, does it still hurt today just yeah. to think about it? I mean, I hate to bring it up. It's just painful. But, uh, you know, in, in the midst of our, of our lives and ministry, uh, we, ha- we have worked with a lot of different things that we never thought we would. Sports is one of them. We never set out to work with athletes. We never thought that would happen. But it just came as an offshoot of personal relationship. And uh, I was just recently back in, in the month of, of um, February in New York City for All-Star Weekend, helping put on an NBA All-Star event, a, a, basically an outreach event for All-Star Weekend. And it was interesting because it was freezing cold there, and it was kind of reminding me, before I went to pastor this church, I, I was uh, an evangelist, and I traveled all over the world, and uh, one of the things that cracked me up was going up into northern Canada, being in Saskatoon and some of these different places in the dead of winter. And, you know, between even Fahrenheit and Celsius, when it gets cold, it sounds even colder. And what would be interesting is you go into Saskatoon and people don't greet you. They don't say, hey, good morning. How are you? Hey, have you had coffee? They they don't do that. They tell you what the temperature is. They greet you by saying 44 below. And you're like, yeah, it's freezing cold here, you know. And, And that's just the greeting, 30 below, 40 below, you know, whatever. That's just their conversation. It's an icebreaker. Well, anyhow. And it's just, you know, just cold. And so I was in New York, and it was freezing. They said it was the coldest it had been in 20 years. With the wind chill, some of the days it was like 22 below zero in New York City. And that's Fahrenheit. And so it was cold. But even more than being cold during the All-Star Weekend, as I'm traveling and talking to people in the city and different things, people are introducing me, and they're saying, hey, this is Steve, and, you know, Steve's from Seattle. And it was almost like going to, to northern Canada. Because people weren't saying, hello, good morning, how are you? You know what they said to me? Three words. Run the ball. That's what, that's what they would say. You say you're from Seattle, and they don't say, hi, how are you? They say, run the ball. And you're like, did you have to say that? You know, run the ball. And, uh, it, you know, maybe you're not, you're not getting that. But what, what that's about is that's a reference to the fact that the Seahawks were on the one-yard line and threw a pass, you know, three feet. And out of three feet, the wrong guy got a hold of it, and the dreams ended on the goal line. Here's what I want you to take away today. And that is that one of the best things you can do in life is follow your own coaching. In other words, what you know is right and you would tell somebody else is the right path, live it yourself. I want you to think about Coach uh, Pete Carroll. 
if Pete Carroll was called up by any other NFL coach and the NFL coach said, look, we won last year's Super Bowl. We've been through a tough season. We started off horrible. We didn't know if we were going to live or die. We got into the place. We plowed through the playoffs. We're in the Super Bowl, a chance to repeat, a chance to have uh, you know, an appointment with destiny. And we're down to the final seconds of the game. We're on the one-yard line. We have the very best, toughest, meanest running back in the entire NFL. What should we do? I think Pete Carroll would say, run the ball, don't you think? I mean, he would have coached anybody else. Run the ball, score, do what you've got to do. Don't miss this opportunity. And yet, here's real life. In the, in the moments when we're living it in real life, it's easy for us to change course, take a different perspective, and maybe even make a wrong decision for the things that we were so capable of doing. Today, if you take anything from this message today, it's to follow what you would tell somebody else to do. Let me say this to you. If you parent your kids properly, you parent yourself properly. You know, the things that are, is this true or is it not? The things that are good for your kids with righteousness, holiness, and vision are still good for you with righteousness, holiness, and, you know, well, anyhow. Run the ball. Just run the ball. Do what you got to do. Grab your Bibles with me if you would. And I want to take you today to a story about God's relentless pursuit of you. And how God wants more than anything else in your life to bless you and to bring you to a place of success. In order to get to that success, you're going to have to overcome the things we just talked about. Misperceptions, misdirected thoughts, wrong influences, getting derailed, getting off track. The real challenge today to live a life that's going to be fully, uh, fully fruitful for the things of God is to stay on track and really be the person God wants you to be. In Acts chapter 9, there's an amazing story. Most of you are familiar with this story. And it's a, of a man named Saul. And it's about a transformation of this man's life, taking him from basically a, a literal terrorist of the day into a man who would be so radically turned and transformed by the grace of God that he would become the author of what Rob Bell would call these 2,000-year-old letters. Come on, somebody. And in the midst of this, look with me to Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 1 and following. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. It's interesting when the Bible says uh, people of the way, uh, you have to love that because basically this is a reference to the teaching of Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know, he talked about a broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. And it's interesting because before followers of Jesus were ever called Christians, they were called people of the way. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be great for us today just to be people of the way? That we're walking in the ways of God. We're walking in the truths of God. Later in the book of uh, Acts, chapter 19, or Acts chapter 13, we find in the city of Antioch, for the very first time, people who followed Jesus were called Christians, which meant 
like Christ or a small Christ. You know, it's an amazing thing for us to have the character and the love of who our God is. What's amazing about this story, though, is that there's a man named Saul. And Saul was a guy who had everything going his direction. He was born into the right family. He was born into a family of prestige. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the Jewish law. He was raised up and given the highest level of Jewish education. He was personally mentored and taught by Gamiel, which was the leading Jewish teacher of the time. He rose up and became, became a Pharisee, one of the leaders at a very early age, and he had incredible influence. And the truth is he thrived, he loved it, he was egotistic, and it began to turn his life. In the midst of this, he became the leading persecutor of the church. And I think it's so important for us to get this deep in our hearts today. Because I think so often, because we love the Lord and we love his word and we even love the Apostle Paul, we whitewash who he really was in this early stage of his life. The fact of the matter is that you would not want to be around the Apostle Paul. This guy was a, a guy who literally hated people. He, had, he, was, he was literally a, a treacherous man. He was vicious. He was angry. He was bitter. And he thrived on, on feeding his own ego and even being instrumental in anyone who followed the way of Jesus being tortured, persecuted. You know what the Bible says? He literally went house to house. Think about this. You know what's happening in Iraq? You know what's happening in, in Syria? Christians are under unbelievable attack today. I mean, it is way worse than what you can even imagine. And families are being torn apart. Women and young girls are being kidnapped and taken. And they're being raped and they're being murdered. They're being sold as slaves. There's fathers that are being taken out and being executed. I mean, it is dire, dire time. There is literally a holocaust going on. And it's all about people who profess Jesus. You know, and we can see that today. We can see that pain. You know, a number of weeks ago, there were 21 martyrs that were marched out in orange jumpsuits, taken on the shores of, of uh, Libya. And these ISIS fighters basically executed them on the beach, and they videotaped it. And they're ruthless, brutal terrorists. And the whole point of being a terrorist is you know that in a face-to-face -face battle, you cannot defeat your foe. The best you can hope for is to keep your enemy from doing what they're capable of doing. That's what terrorism is all about. It's about fear. It's about debilitating. It's about keeping you from doing what you are capable of doing. And so that day, they even videotaped these radical Islamic terrorists. They videotaped this slaughter on the beach. And they thought that it would go across the world and that it would strike terror in the heart of the entire world, and that, that it would both boost their cause, and that it would even uh, just destroy the families of those who lost their loved ones. How many know that what the devil means for harm, God can take the worst attack of the devil and even turn it and use it for good? They left the audio going on that video because they, they, they thought that it would, it would just cause such pain to the family members to have to witness their loved ones with their throats being slit. But the truth of what mattered, what happened on that day, was that the videotape went to the families and it bolstered the faith of the families. Because what's on that tape is those 21 men march, being marched out on the beach they were told that if you will refute Jesus, if you will just, if you will just deny Jesus... We will let you live. And not one of those men would give up their faith. Isn't that amazing? 
And what they did was, they, if you listen to the audio track, they were worshiping while they were being marched down that beach. And one after another, to their very last breath, they cried out with their voice, proclaiming Jesus as the Lord. And you know what it left the impression on the family? You can read the stories. And what, what, the, what the family said was, we, are, we couldn't be any prouder of our loved ones. Now we have to even understand these are Coptic Christians. These are Egyptian Christians. And when you read the scripture, you find that when Jesus was born, King Herod issued a decree that all of the Jewish boys, two years and younger, younger would be uh, killed. And the angels spoke to Joseph and, and told him to take Mary and, and Jesus down into Egypt. The prophets had foretold hundreds of years before that the Son of God would be called up out of Egypt. It didn't make sense that the, that the Son of God would be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah, but somehow be called up out of Egypt. But the circumstances of the birth of Jesus were such that Herod called for the boys to be killed. The angel said to Joseph, take him down into Egypt. These Egyptians take it so seriously that Egypt was a part of preserving the life of the Messiah. Isn't that something? And, and that, that the Messiah was brought up out of Egypt in accordance with the prophets. And Jesus lived his life, died, and became, isn't that amazing? And so these Coptic Egyptian Christians take it deep into their heart, even to this day, even though they're only about 8% of the population of, uh, of Egypt, they see themselves as standing guard for the Messiah. Isn't that something? And so when they saw their brothers, their fathers, their uncles, and saw that not one of them would cave in, not one of them would renounce Jesus, you know what they said about their loved ones? They said, you know what, I couldn't be any prouder because my son died like a lion. I couldn't be any prouder because my dad died like a lion that day. I couldn't be any prouder of my uncle because he died like a lion that day. I have to ask you this question. If these brothers and sisters of ours can die like lions, shouldn't you and I be able to stand up and live like lions in today's world? You know, here we are where, where we have trivial things that come against us and we're so quick to give up our faith. We're so quick to turn and go the other way. I want to challenge you today. This is no day to lay down. This is no day to take a day off. This is a day to rise up in your faith, in your prayer, in your service to God. It's a day to get behind Bible-believing churches. Think about what could happen. We have three to 400,000 churches in America. What could happen if we had three to 400,000 pastors that would preach the Word of God and call their congregation to really believe the Word of God instead of all this garbage of 2,000-year-old letters? Why should you let it impact your life? You guys are really quiet. Anybody still here today? Saul is on the road, and he's, he's got all the power, and he loves it. He's just, he's amped up on power. This guy loves holding the power. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus decided to have a conversation with him. And the Bible says that, that there was suddenly a light from heaven that flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, he asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll, to you'll be told what you must do. The Bible speaks about how the men with him, that they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. What's amazing about this story is that Saul is here, and he's, he's doing everything that he can to destroy the people of God. Going house to house, dragging them out, persecuting them, and even being the one. In Acts chapter 26, he later stands before King Agrippa, and he gives his testimony. 
And, he's, and he talks about how before Jesus spoke to him on the road to Damascus, there were times when, when people were being persecuted. And he literally says this, I cast my lot against them. In other words, he was the deciding vote that resulted in people losing their life simply because they loved Jesus. How would you like to have that on your record when you one day stand before God? That that's what you were known for. That's what you did. And yet that day on the road to Damascus, God knocked this man off his feet onto his tail end. And no longer was it the proud, boastful guy that had all the power and all the authority. Now it's a man who's blind. He can't even see what's going on. He doesn't even know what's happening. And he cries out and he says, Lord, he just knows something powerful hit him. That's all he knows. He says, Lord, Lord, who are you? And who would it be? The voice of Jesus comes back and says, it's me. It's Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow, can you imagine that encounter? And all that Acts chapter 9 tells us is that Jesus said, now go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. But I want you to fast forward. Think about this. Saul is having this encounter on the road. He's about to be transformed. He's going to be turned by the grace of God and, and, and cleansed and forgiven. He's going to become a great preacher, church planter. And then the Holy Spirit's actually going to use him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. All these 2,000-year-old letters that we're talking about today. And then Paul is going to be persecuted himself simply for his faith in the name of Jesus. And he's going to stand before King Agrippa and he's going to give uh, an account for his life. And he's going to say something so amazing because he's going to tell us not only did he cast the deciding vote, but he's going to say when he was on that road, there was more to it than was even recorded in Acts chapter 9. That when he was on the ground, blinded, the Lord spoke to him and the Lord said, it is hard to kick against the goad. How about that for Revelation. How many of you know it's hard to kick against the goat? Okay, I guess you have to know what a goat is to know whether it's hard to kick against it. Here's what a goat is. A goat is just a long wooden pole. On one end, it's just rounded. On the other end, it's got a sharp, just a tip like a spear. And it's what the farmers would use, the, the men who would work with the oxen. And so you have these huge mammoth beasts, these oxen, and they would plow fields and they would carry carts and, and, you know, do all the things that oxen do. And so the farmer would have his goad with him. And if the oxen was in a place where maybe it put its, its, its hoof into a hole or maybe it was stuck somewhere and they just needed to power through the moment, the, the farmer would take the goad and take that spike, the, the tip of the spear and just put it right into the skin of the animal and it was just a little prod how many have ever had a prod in your life you know when there was just a little sharp point that was just kind of making its presence known in your life and it, it's interesting because the apostle Paul says the Lord said to him it's hard to kick against the goat you know what that's a revelation there's something so deep just in that statement because what it really I believe is saying is that when Saul before the road to Damascus when Saul was the the hot shot, giving the deciding vote, even casting people down, dragging them out of their homes, just thriving on this life of violence and pride and arrogance, that in the midst of those moments, the Spirit of God was already speaking to him. In those moments, you know, the Lord doesn't say, hey, I'm going to introduce you to the goad. He was saying it's hard to kick against the goad, which meant Saul had already been doing that. That's why God was encountering him. In other words, God was putting the sharp point of his stick right between Saul's shoulders. And he was basically saying, Saul, 
you're misdirected. You don't know who I am. You're causing hurt and pain instead of living the life that I have for you. And yet, you know what Saul was doing? Even when the sharp point of God's grace, the sharp point of the Holy Spirit was being put in his shoulder blades, he was like the oxen. And the oxen that decides, you know what? I'm way bigger I'm, I'm 900, I'm 1,000 pounds. I'm way bigger than the 170-pound guy behind me. We're not going this way anymore. We're not, we're not doing, no, this, this, this plowing thing, it's done for the day. We're done. And the big oxen starts taking its hoofs, and it, start, it starts moving backwards. And it's, it starts saying, you know what, I'm not going that direction. We're not, we're not doing that. And what happens here is either the farmer's going to get ran over, or he's just going to plant and hold the goad. And what he would do is he would just hammer himself down, just lock himself down and hold that goad. And so when the oxen kicks and fights against the goad, what happens is the oxen literally pierces himself with the spear that is in his back. What does Jesus say to Saul? Saul, it's rough on you when you fight and you kick against my presence. When you fight against my prompting, I mean, today I don't need to see your hands, but how many of you today, you've had that prompting in your life. You've had that sharp point. Isn't it amazing that God loves you enough to speak to you? That God has a way of getting, have you noticed God has a way of getting your attention? It may not be that you're just slammed down on the ground with, with a, such a bright light that it blinds your eyes. But you know what? Sometimes you can go in for your annual exam. And all of a sudden, they just took a simple blood draw. And now they come back and they tell you that you have something that's inside you that you can't feel. You, you feel absolutely fine. You feel healthy. And yet they're telling you there is a blood disease inside you that is going to literally take your life. You are under threat because of something you never even knew happened. It could be that you've been soaring along. You know, you, you've gone well through your education. Now you're on the corporate path and things are going well for you. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you have no choice. You have no knowledge of this. But behind the scenes, there's a little acquisition that's been in the works. And now you're told, you know what? You're highly successful. You're great. But you know what? We don't know if there's still going to be a place for you in the next 60 days. And all of a sudden, everything that you have and everything you know just comes to a screeching halt. I had an executive in my church. And, and he was in a, a service. And the message was being preached about integrity and truthfulness. And about how we're going to literally stand, not before men, but we're going to stand before God about the kind of quality of life that we live. And he was sitting there, and you know what was happening? The sharp point of the Holy Spirit was touching him. And God was saying to him, you know what? You're, you have all this huge fat paycheck. You've got all the, the things that people chase. You've got all the things you ever wanted. But the truth is, you're a part of something that is not right. And if you as a man don't take a stand and do what is right when you know the difference between right and wrong... This is the conviction that was coming on this man. He said, it's not just going to stop with what you do at work. It's going to come into your home, and it's going to destroy your marriage, and you are going to end up destroying the future of your own kids. And that corporate executive went home, and the next day, the Lord told him, don't even wait. Go in and resign your job. And the very next day, he went in and resigned his job and did not know where he would go or what he would do from there. But you know what he said to me? He said, that was the greatest moment because I knew once and for all, I finally did what the Lord told me to do. 
And it's amazing. God has opened up another door for him. But it wasn't just easy. It was a door of faith. Come on, somebody's in this room with me. Some of you know what it's like to be in a wrong relationship. And yet you're being swept away. You're, you're, you're thinking that, you know what, I love him. And, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be all right. And yet the Lord is putting that, that little prod right between your shoulders. And what is he saying? You know what, this is the wrong place. I know what this is like. God called me to be a, to be a preacher. And I didn't want anything to do with it. I ran from God as long and as far as I possibly could. And yet I would come into church. And this is why I even give altar calls like I do. I'll give an altar call and I'll say, you know what, you could be sitting here today. And it could be your stomach's just tightening up. It could be your stomach. It's just turning and tying in knots. Why do I say that to people? Because I sat back there and I knew exactly what it was like. Because I, I would come in and my pastor would preach about anything. It could be marriage. It could be tithing. It could be anything. And I only heard one message. And I was in the back and the one message was, what are you doing here? You're out of the will of God. Yeah, I've called you to be a preacher. You're supposed to be at Bible college. And you're closing your ears and you're choking it off. What are you doing here? You belong someplace else. My family always sat right here. You could tell where the Jameson clan was. Just You could pastor by look. Well, in this point in my life, I was sitting back there. I was on the back row that you could still be in the house. And I found that God still speaks on the back. It doesn't, hurt, it doesn't help one bit to go to the back row. God still speaks at the back row. And I was just getting hammered by the Lord. You're out of the will of God. So I, I finally said to the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, if you'll just tell me one more time, then I will do what you've asked me to do. I'll walk away from this and I will go to Bible college and I will, because I thought being a preacher was like becoming a monk. I thought, you know, it was kissing all good things goodbye. And um, so I, I drove back to my house. I was a young fisherman. I owned a, a, a brand new duplex right off the beach, moved into it the day that it was finished. I mean, everything in my life was about money. It was about, you know, being a young, prideful fisherman. You guys know this whole story. And uh, I pulled up in the driveway, and one of my secular, unsaved roommates came out and met me as I was opening the door to my car after I'd pleaded with God at church, Lord, if you'll just show me one more time, I'll do what you want me to do. And I pulled up in the driveway, and I opened up the door of my car, and my friend came out. And he said to me, hey, Steve. You know, when you closed the door to go to church today, I woke up and I've just been thinking about you the whole time. And I'm like, yeah? And he goes, yeah, I've been thinking about what you should do with your life. And I just smarted off to him. I said, oh, yeah, Mike, what should I do with my life? This is a secular, ungodly young man. And he looks at me and he says, I think you should be a preacher. I was like, where did that come from? I looked at him. I said, why did you say that? I mean, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. I've just been pleading with God to take that away from me. Just show me one more time. And, you know, I had to walk in my house, walk up in my room, get on my knees and confess my sin. So when I say you, your stomach might be turning in knots, it's because I know what that's like to be under conviction from God. You know, don't kick against the goat. Let God's prompting have its way in your life. You know what, if, if the Lord is saying this relationship is wrong, believe him, trust him. Because he will move you into something that will really bless you. He's not in the, he's not in the business of destroying his people. He's in the business of building his people. 
You know, if you're in a business where there isn't truth and there isn't integrity, you're never going to gain by staying in that situation. You've got to choose to let the Lord... Pro- can I get an amen somewhere today? You've you got to make the decisions to get where God can really freely bless you and use you. It could be the other side. It could be that you feel like, man, I've given all that I can give or I've served all I can serve. And, and you know, and sometimes in those places, you can even start getting bad attitudes. Listen, I want to tell you something. Bad attitude has no place in a servant of the living God. You know, let God by the prompting correct your thoughts let God prompt you into the new things that he has for you believe for big big things and I know I'm out of time but I'm gonna I'm gonna just finish with this God put such a touch upon Saul's life that he was there blinded for three days he didn't eat he didn't drink God brought a divine appointment across his path a man Ananias Ananias didn't even want to go see Saul because he'd heard about all the wickedness that this guy had done he was afraid of him But God, when Ananias started praying about it, God so turned his heart that when he was obedient to what the Lord showed him to do, he walked into the room and he said to Saul, instead of Saul, you terrorist, you you know, he didn't hold, he didn't say, you know, you're such a guy that I can't even trust, I'm afraid of. No, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road while you were coming here, has, has spoken to me about laying my hands on you that you would receive your sight. You know what? The Lord had given Saul the vision of a man named Ananias coming and doing that. And then he sent Ananias in to speak with his mouth the very words of what Saul had experienced. I want to tell you something. God is working on both sides of your coin. God is working on the things that you can see. He's working on the things that you're even afraid of. And he's working on the things that you have no idea of right now. And what I'm saying to you today is dig deep. Obey. Respond. Yield. Listen. Obey the same coaching you would give somebody else. If some young Christian came to you and they said, hey, I'm in this place and I've got this relationship. I know it's not right, but I just can't see breaking it off. What would you say to them? You know, if some young business leader came to you and said, you know what, I'm in this situation, I'm making a lot of money, but I know deep inside it's not right. And I'm hearing that it's going to corrupt me and it's going to end up corrupting my marriage. It's going to actually end up corrupting my kids. Should I stay in this situation or what should I do? You know what I think you would say? I think the Holy Spirit would say to you, do what you know is right. Isn't it true? Do what you need. In other words, run the ball. When you're one yard out, when you're that close to your destiny, when you're that close to your breakthrough, when you're that close to your miracle, don't dibble-dally around with what God has. Don't kick against the goad thinking, you know what, I don't care. I'm not going down that road. I don't want to be this. I don't want to submit. You know what you need to do is just yield to the presence of God. Yield to the prompting of God. Yield to that little touch in the middle of your back. You have the choice. The Spirit is in pursuit of you. The love of God is in pursuit of you. And with the gentle touch, you could be prompted into the things of your destiny. Or you can fight against it, and it will pierce you and cause you pain. Run the ball. Don't miss what you're capable don't lay down for a terrorist to make you so afraid you don't do what you're capable of doing run the ball move across put your faith in action make the decisions right now don't talk yourself out of it before you get to your car God may challenge you to rise up he might challenge you to serve like never before I'm, you know, I'm out of time are you okay I'm, I'm like nine minutes and 34 seconds over. 
but I, I get five minutes for the altar call, so I'm really only four minutes and 40 seconds over. There was a guy in my church, he came to me one day, and he said, you know what, Pastor? The Lord told me to come into your office and to submit myself to you. He said, I went to Bible college. God put his hand upon my life, but I ran from it. And he goes, you know, I'm in business now, and I've got kids, and there's so much water under the bridge. But because I rebelled against the call that God put on my life as an early man, as a young man, I, I'm, I'm in a place now that um, I've never yielded. I, when I hardened my heart to the call of God, I hardened my heart to every point of spiritual authority and leadership in my life. And he said, and I have refused to yield to any pastor or to submit or to come under anybody's authority. And he said, the Lord told me this week that I'm to come and to repent of my hardness of heart and that I am to tell you that I come under your authority as my pastor. And whatever you want to speak into my life, you speak it because from here on, I'm going to obey. Do you know what happened in that man's life? It was like you flipped a switch in his entire life. God began to move in his family. The Lord called his daughters. His daughters, not just his son, his daughters are in overseas missions today. You know, you don't yield to the call of God unless you're willing to be obedient. Are you tracking with me? This man was resistant to leadership and to authority and, and, and these things. And the day that he came and said, I yield myself, not only to God, but to spiritual authority, the spiritual authority began to move in his family. His daughters are foreign missionaries today. It's amazing the things that God is doing. You know, not only that, but God began to elevate him in his workplace. He's a salesperson. And God began to add favor and blessing and favor and blessing upon him where he himself, a one-man machine, was outselling the entire rest of the corporation. What would have happened if he hadn't yielded and said, God, I've had a hardened heart. He was kicking against the goat. And there came a moment when he decided in his life, I'm not fighting against what God has anymore, but I'm going to yield and I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe and I'm going to follow after God. 